0: Fast forward just over 10 years and we've already exceeded that and we've become the most sustainable company in the world and the only, almost completely renewable energy major operating globally.
1: Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to Smart Energy Voices. Today, I'm joined by Melissa Peterson, Vice President, Origination and Power Marketing at Orsted. While not very well known in the U.S., Orsted is the global leader in wind power and has gone from being an entirely fossil fuel driven energy company to being selected as the most sustainable company in the world during just the last 10 year period. We'll get to learn more about both Melissa and the company during our conversation as she gives an inside look at what Orsted is planning in the US. Melissa, welcome to Smart Energy Voices. And before we get into the heart of our conversation, please tell us a little about yourself and your current role at Orsted.
0: Great. Good afternoon, John. Really excited to be here and thanks for the opportunity. So at Orsted, I really lead up the origination and power marketing group. So for the folks and the listeners that maybe might not know this, we really work to find buyers who want to procure and buy energy from our renewable energy projects. A lot of this is traditional utility companies, but also large corporate companies in the market, people like Microsoft and Pepsi and Google, et cetera. You know, I've been in this role, John, for about a year and a half here at Orsted, but prior to that, around five years for another energy company... Called Apex Clean Energy. I really started in this energy industry quite a long time ago, about 15 years ago, kind of in the early to mid 2000s. My first role in the industry was an interesting one. I worked at a not for profit called Windustry, really being kind of a boots on the ground representative to landowners who were interested in learning about this kind of newer technology of wind energy and what that meant for them. A lot of these folks were farmers or landowners in in rural parts of the upper Midwest. They were getting contacted by a whole variety of developers saying, I want to put a wind turbine on your property and and had a lot of questions. So I worked for this organization and we really became the go-to resource to answer those questions and to make sure they were learning and had all the facts and materials to really figure out how to participate in this industry and how to be a landowner and, and engage with those developers. After several years of doing that, I transitioned over to a a company called EDF in, in a role of developer, working a lot of the same type of stuff with those developers or with those landowners to build out those projects, manage the permitting, the engineering, the design, and really kind of bring a lot of projects to fruition. Throughout my seven years with that organization, I worked on projects anywhere from California to Iowa, Texas, Minnesota. So really had a, a large span of of wind and solar experience across the US as the industry was really picking up speed and growing. At that point I you know decided to take a little bit of a detour into a more commercial role and kind of got into this origination power marketing space where I am now and started building out kind of my knowledge base and my experience working with buyers of renewable energy. And trying to figure out what their needs were and how we could then take the product that we're selling, which is electrons from solar and wind projects, and market it to them as a product that they can use to help meet their sustainability goals and help them achieve clean energy also.
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. You've come at this industry from a number of different perspectives, and you're clearly a career renewable energy executive. It's great to have you here today and looking forward to the conversation, Melissa.
0: Great, thank you. I remember when I when I first joined, I thought I'll try this for a couple of years, and now almost fifteen years later, I'm still here. So obviously, <laughs> I I must enjoy it.
2: Yeah, well, it, it'll do that to you. I find lots of people fall in love with the industry, and they tend to be very very mission and purpose driven. Well, let's get into the first topic that I want to discuss, which is really give people a better sense for the company and talk about the phenomenal transition that. Orsted is made into renewables. The company is relatively new in the U.S., but it's obviously very well established in Europe. Give us some background on, on the company, Melissa.
0: Sure. Orsted has been around for, for quite a long time. It actually started in, I believe, 1972 as the Danish oil and natural gas company. So its roots were really in a much different place than where we are today. It went along like that for 30, 40 years, really being kind of the premier Oil, natural gas, and coal company in the European Union and really fueling a lot of the development throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s in, in Denmark and in kind of the Scandinavian nations. They just started to kind of move into the electricity space a little bit later. 2006, they really entered in the electricity space. 2009, they did their kind of first offshore wind farm in the european union and at that point things were starting to shift there was a lot of conversations happening in the global space climate change was really getting a lot of activity in the media you know al gore had released i think an inconvenient truth around then so a lot of people were starting to talk about this and say hey this is important and we need to start looking at this in a real way and we need to start figuring out how we can reduce our carbon footprint in the world at that same time Dong, they 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 were called Dong at that time, Danish Royal and Natural Gas. They were working on a, a coal plant that was actually in Germany, and it was bumping up against quite a few critics of that coal plant. And so all these things were kind of coming to head. And the the management at that time said, hey, maybe we should take a pause and step back and think about this. And maybe we should start thinking, how do we transform from the company we are now, which is 85% carbon-based and 15% renewables, to something different? And that's what kicked off the transformation of Orsted. And they they decided to create this 85-15 goal where they would go from 85% coal to 85% renewable and basically flip-flop what they had then. And the, the target at that time was to do it over a generation, what they called a generation, which was 30 years Fast forward just over 10 years, and we have met that. We've already exceeded that, and we've become the most sustainable company in the world and the only almost completely renewable energy major operating globally. By 2025, we will be completely carbon neutral with our scope one and two emissions and 100% renewable energy in our vehicle fleet. So we've really made a quite an ambitious transformation from a traditional energy fossil-based company into a completely green renewable energy company and doing all that underneath continually growing shareholder value add and demonstrating continued kind of positive capital return on your investments. So we're kind of really a testimony to that. It can be done to achieve both the profitable side of the business as well as the, the green energy transformation side of the business.
2: It's a fascinating story to think that it started out as a 30-year plan and you got it done in 10 it is astounding. And it's interesting, while it was a Danish-based company, it was the experience in Germany where I guess that big move in the energy transition 10, 12 years ago that they undertook there kind of got, got the attention of the senior executives to motivate this pivot. Tell us a little more about kind of what's behind the company being named the, the world's most sustainable company. That's a that's a great achievement. And to have accomplished that in such a short period of time, would would love for you to tell us more about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a couple things that really drove to, to that acknowledgement. I think the, the first, and we we've, we've hit on it a bit, is but the sheer scale of the transformation and, and how quickly it was done, I think, really demonstrates the commitment of the organization and laid out the foundation of all of our future growth plans that we have. We have reduced our CO2 emissions by more than 86% since 2006. So we've continually demonstrated our commitment to this cause. and, And above and beyond that, we're focused on not just greening our own energy emissions and our own scope one or scope two emissions. We have internal publicly announced goals of being completely carbon neutral by 2040, all the way through our entire scope three and our supply chain. And so it's not just about what Orsted can do as one company. It's about funneling that through our supply chain and setting an example and a precedent to all the other organizations out there and all the folks that help support this industry that together and collectively, we need to all work to make a change and reduce global climate.
2: Yeah. So companies well established in Europe, executes this pivot, then decides to enter in the in the US. I know we'll get into a little more detail about your US operations later in the conversation, but at this point, tell us a little bit about what led to the entry of the company into the US and kind of what that what that looked like initially.
0: Sure the the first natural entry of Orsted into the US was the fit that seemed most likely. We entered in in 2016-17-18 time period in the offshore market. We're still the the most active and, and largest developer of offshore globally and in the United States. So we took the kind of easy path and said we we've very experienced here in Europe about offshore, let's enter the US market in offshore. So, did that, and as we kind of got a bit more familiar with the US market, how energy is traded, the fundamentals that underline the US energy market, we realized, I think, pretty quickly that if we're going to be a global powerhouse here, we have to expand beyond just the European Union into renewable technologies. And when you look around globally at who's got the largest platform and the biggest opportunity for onshore, so solar, onshore wind, battery technology, et cetera very quickly you come to the United States. And so through you know some of that experience in the offshore side of the U.S., they decided, hey, this is kind of the next best fit and the next likely path forward. And so in 2018, they acquired a company called Lincoln Clean Energy as kind of their wind energy platform. And then subsequently, they acquired a company in 2019 called Coronal Energy. And combining those two entities brought a whole breadth of experience and knowledge to the Orsted team about how to operate, build, construct, manage, develop, et cetera, U.S. onshore wind and solar projects. And so that's now what really underpins the U.S. onshore market for Orsted.
2: Right. So Lincoln was the wind piece, Coronal was the solar piece, and both of those now form the basis of your platform in the in the U.S.
0: Yep, that's correct. And both of those companies had very strong knowledge bases of the U.S. markets, long development pipelines, and a lot of experience in having transacted and executed in, in projects. So both were were very good portfolios of projects and team members to add.
2: Yeah. So while the bulk of your business in Europe was offshore, the initial beachhead in the, U, in the U.S. is entirely onshore. So you've got wind, you've got solar. Are, are there any other technologies that you're looking at right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're looking at storage. You know, we actually are in construction right now with a storage opportunity that's co-located once one of our solar projects that's under construction. So we'll be bringing our first battery project in Texas online here soon. Additionally, we're looking at a lot of different hydrogen options. We have partnered in several JVs with hydrogen in Europe, and we're actively looking at hydrogen opportunities here in the U.S. So those would probably be the two biggest kind of newer technology buckets that we continue to see growing and really fit in well with the Orsted portfolio and balance it out. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention all the work we're doing in the offshore side of the U.S. My colleagues would, would be disappointed if I didn't mention. Orsted owns the 30-megawatt Block Island wind farm off Rhode island. But additionally, we've been awarded close to 3,000 megawatts of projects that will come online around 2024, or 2025 in New York, in New Jersey. We're working on a project with Dominion in Virginia So we have quite a few different assets. And I I really expect over the next three to five years, we'll start to see the landscape shift a bit more in the offshore space in the United States.
2: Yeah, well, that's a hot topic with a tremendous amount of potential for growth. And it's something I want to get into a little further as the conversation pursues. But it seems to me, you've got a really good, solid strategy with a base of operations and onshore with both wind and solar. And obviously, you've got a tremendous amount of experience in the offshore piece. That's actually a great segue to kind of talk about the future of renewables in the United States. You've spent your entire career in renewables, 15 plus years of experience. You've seen a lot. What's your take on where the renewable energy industry in the U.S. is headed today?
0: Yeah, thanks, John. I think there's a lot of interesting things coming up on the horizon for where this energy industry is going right now. You know, I had mentioned hydrogen. That's one that's really on the forefront. I think it's a little bit longer term till we see that become a mainstream energy technology, but it's really necessary for use in things like aviation and heavy-duty shipping or transport if we want to really kind of reduce the amount of carbon-based technology or carbon-based emissions that are happening globally. Another technology that I would say, you know, a few years ago was very new. I think now people are getting a handle on it a bit more is storage. As I mentioned, we're working on a storage project. I've seen quite a few storage projects happening in the United States. I think batteries on the scale that we're talking about here are going to be really critical in the United States, both for capturing those renewables during periods of time when the load might not be there and being able to use them when that demand is high, but also to help relieve some of the transmission and congestion constraints that we're having in the industry and being able to help flow energy more effectively around the grid. Another thing that I see a lot and I'm really excited about is I think we'll continue to see or start to see more often the use of technology such as AI or big data utilization to really help improve efficiency of the existing technology learn to operate the technology a bit better, reduce downtime, improve worker safety, et cetera, et cetera. So I think as we continue to grow, we'll see more of those technologies incorporated into renewable energy, allowing us to really optimize the resource that we already have at hand.
2: Yeah, when you add all those dimensions to where the market's headed, Melissa, it really does reinforce how much the industry is clearly in its infancy here. There are so many additional dimensions that can be brought to bear on the growth of renewables. One of those is the the increased appetite and demand for renewables by corporates, industrials, cities, higher ed. It seems like the increasing number of emission reduction commitments that are taking place are, are fueling this growth. And it almost feels like the demand is going to outstrip the potential supply what are your thoughts on on the ability of the supply side to keep up with the demand side of the equation here in the U.S.?
0: You know, I think that is a real challenge that we have, and it's a challenge that I'm excited that we're having this conversation about it because it really means that a lot of people want to participate in this market and want to try to help find a solution. The biggest issue that we have really is, I think we can we have the number of projects and we can build the number of projects, but there is a large issue with the existing transmission infrastructure in the United States and the ability to actually deliver the energy from where it's generated to where it needs to go. So there's gonna have to be over the next 10 year period, I think, a substantial overhaul in how that system works. And I think that's gonna come from a different lens than maybe previously it had been built out. You know, Historically, utilities and transmission companies really managed that. But as corporates get more involved in this space, as owner operators like Orsted are involved in this space, we're going to have to be a bit more collaborative and creative and try to find solutions to help meet everybody's goals and really make sure that the amount of generation that we want to bring online and the amount of generation that the consumers are asking for can be managed by the grid. So it's a challenge that we have. And I think there's a lot of creative solutions out there. Storage, as I mentioned, is one of them, but a lot of other kind of unique opportunities, I think, that will will come out of this as people put their heads together and try to think through how to really optimize this solution.
2: What's interesting there that I like that you introduced, it's not only the ability of supply to meet demand, but it's also about the ability of the grid to serve that load and this whole area of transmission infrastructure and adding additional transmission. I know there's a lot of private investment that's targeting that opportunity. This gets to kind of the whole topic of grid modernization. And I think as we go forward, that's increasingly going to be a topic of interest and conversation for the industry. So if you've got this dramatically increasing demand, more supplies needed, that does in fact lead back to the whole offshore conversation. In Europe, offshore wind is a substantial source of generation, but it's really been meaningless in the U.S. What's your take on where things are headed in the U.S. with offshore wind and how it's going to fit into the generation mix going forward?
0: Yeah, I think in the next 10 years, offshore will play a more important role in the generation mix of the U.S. than we have seen historically. I I still think it will be smaller than what we're seeing for onshore wind and solar. The cost of all of these technologies has come down dramatically and, and is continuing to come down. And so there is, you know, an economic component to that offshore is a bit more expensive still to build than onshore. That being said, when you look at pockets of the United States where there's heavy load, the whole East Coast, New York, New Jersey, D.C., all these areas have a lot of load and continued demand for wanting to have renewables, and it's very challenging to build onshore nearby those locations. And with the grid constraints we talked about, it's not a reasonable expectation that we're going to be building wind in the middle of the country and delivering it all the way to New York. And so... Offshore can play a very important component, a very important role in helping to get clean energy into those markets that have land constraints or are heavily populated and allow those areas to benefit from that clean energy.
2: Well, that makes sense. And when you look at, I know some of the forecasts are that there's a tremendous amount of generation opportunity given the extensive coastlines that we have and the proximity of large cities to those areas. And is there a uh, project with NYSERDA and a project with Dominion that you've got in development?
0: Yeah, so we were awarded in 2019, I believe it's an 880 megawatt award from NYSERDA for a wind farm off the coast of New York. So that's moving forward. That will come online 2024-2025 timeframe. Additionally, we've partnered with Dominion off the coast of Virginia on a test pilot project. Dominion will be the ultimate owner, but Orthod has been brought in for our expertise to help with the engineering, procurement, and construction aspects of that. We also have, interestingly, we were awarded from the state of New Jersey an award in 2019 for about 1,100 megawatts of an offshore wind farm off the coast of New Jersey. So we have quite a few of those contracts. We also have several JVs here in the U.S. on projects that have been going on for some period of time. So we expect to bring online somewhere close to three gigawatts of wind within the next five years in the offshore space in the United States,
2: three gigawatts offshore in the next five years, plus the solid base of operations that you have from those two acquisitions, it sounds to me like there are some pretty bold ambitions on the part of the company here in here in North America. So renewable energy is kind of it's grown dramatically in the last four years in spite of the the lack of support from the federal government. I know you're not a policy person at Orsted. I'm not asking you to state the company's official policy position. But from your personal perspective, as someone that's been in the industry for 15 years and seen a lot, what impact do you think a more climate-friendly administration may have on the growth of renewables in the U.S.?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited to see what the new administration is going to bring to the table. Having a supportive administration behind renewables just really helps, I think, set the stage for the more local levels, the cities, the states, the utilities, the ones who are actively going out and, and buying that power to create more ambitious targets and goals for themselves. And so by that token, it really helps increase the demand for renewables historically, the industry in the United States has been heavily fueled by a production tax credit or an investment tax credit, depending on the wind or solar technology. That is set to phase out. And I think most people in the industry, including myself, are completely fine with that happening. You know, The, the technology of wind and solar onshore has the ability to stand on its own two legs and doesn't need the economic support from those tax credits. And so as those phase out, I think the demand for the product, as you mentioned earlier, from, from everyone from utilities to corporate customers will demonstrate itself and, and will have you know the ability to continue to build gigawatts of projects in the U.S.
2: Yeah. To my way of thinking, there, there are two things I'd really like to see happen, Melissa. And I know it wasn't approved in the most recent stimulus program, but I'd love to see a freestanding storage ITC put in place. I, I think that could drive tremendous uptake in storage and have a resulting acceleration of growth in renewables. And this piece you mentioned on transmission infrastructure, if as part of some sort of an infrastructure package, there can be some incentives or targeted dollars on upgrading transmission infrastructure, I think those are two things I'd certainly like to see happen with the new administration and their, their more friendly posture towards our industry.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, John.
2: So, we've talked about the company, we've talked about what's happening with renewables in the US. You know, I'd like to talk a little more about you and kind of your background and your career in the industry. When you introduced yourself up front, Melissa, you really, you know, you gave us a good take on the different roles and the different positions you've had in the industry. Tell us a little more about what led you to a career in the energy industry. Why did you choose this path for your your future?
0: Yeah, I really think it, it when I look back at my life, my undergrad is in biology and I have a graduate degree in conservation and ecology work. And so I really had a mindset and at that time didn't know exactly kind of how that would play out in my life, but I always kind of had a, a bent towards wanting to do something for the environment. I grew up camping a lot, spending a lot of time outdoors, so it was always really important for me to feel like the career choice I was going to make in some capacity was giving back or doing something a bit bigger than just myself. When I had the opportunity to enter into this renewable energy space, what really was interesting to me was it was kind of the, the perfect intersection between the environmental side of it and the commercial side and the business side And so for me, that's really been kind of what's kept me going because I've been able to work on tons of amazing deals and transactions and projects and seeing the actual from the ground up and and being able to go back years later and saying, yeah, I helped participate in this farm and knowing that I'm doing something for the environment that's bigger than me that leaves a longer legacy than I do and that I'm trying to make a difference. But it still has that business-minded aspect because at the end of the day, we are profitable businesses and we want to run profitable businesses. And so you have to think about things through a variety of different lenses, which is always exciting.
2: Yeah. I didn't realize how this tied into what you actually studied in school. And it's nice to talk to someone who's been able to pursue a career in something that they've really had a passion in for their entire life. You've worked for several different companies throughout your career. I was wondering if you could maybe reflect on what are some of your your most proud accomplishments? You've identified the pride that you get in being associated with specific projects, but what would you kind of cite as your career highlights, if you will, to date? And I know the best is yet to come.
0: (laughs) That's right. The best is yet to come. There's been a a few. I mean, I think there's some projects that I've worked on that I'm really proud of. One is a project with Fort Hood Military Base. It was when I was employed at Apex Clean Energy. It's still the, I I believe, the largest project the U.S. military has done and the only hybrid, so wind and solar project that they've done. So working on that was a really proud accomplishment because it wasn't just for me or it wasn't just for the company. It was really for something bigger and being a part of and working with the U.S. government and especially the military branch of that, the Army. Was a really rewarding experience and a really big eye opener for me. So having that project get finished and built and operating is just really exciting, and and that that's kind of from a project standpoint one of the big ones. From a, a leadership standpoint, I can think of a few. Early on in my career, when I entered, there was not many women, or I didn't see as many women as I see now, thankfully in the in the industry. And so I decided, with the help of a few other women friends, we started a a networking chapter in Minneapolis. And it ended up becoming the Minneapolis chapter of, it was called Women of Wind Energy then, but now it's called RISE, which folks may or may not have heard of, but it's a national women's organization and really kind of became one of the first chapters in the US that had actively engaged members who were meeting on a regular basis and kind of starting to set the stage. For other people in this industry to have places to go and places to network and outlet. And so that for me was a big accomplishment to be able to help out others that were maybe coming up behind me.
2: Oh, well, that's awesome. And what I think we'll do is, I know you mentioned Rise, and it's a great national organization. We'll include some information in the show notes of this uh, episode so anyone that would like to get information on it will be able to click on a link and get some information on that group if they if they'd like to become associated with it and congratulations on your role in you know helping form and shape their efforts those that are experienced in the renewable energy space know that there are challenges every day in the industry what what would you say has been your biggest challenge throughout the span of your career in the industry, Melissa?
0: You know, it's been an interesting ride from a policy side, as we kind of touched on before. There's been a lot of different policies, ups and downs and unknowns throughout the industry. So it's been a challenge in that standpoint, trying to to figure out how to always move the industry forward and how to always continually take the next right step. I remember probably about five, six years ago now, when the corporate market was really starting to develop itself and there was only a few big buyers in the market and this concept of a virtual power purchase agreement was very abstract and people didn't know what that meant. Trying to develop those relationships and develop those products and and help figure out a way to take something that historically is not a product that corporates want to buy or have purchased. They usually just call up their utility and pay whatever the bill is and don't think twice about it and figure out how do we take this commodity and translate it into a package and a product that a completely different type of buyer than historically would be interested in in looking at and participating in. So that's been one of the biggest challenges, I think, is being a part of the growth of this corporate market and it's been incredibly rewarding because it's happened much faster than I ever thought. If I would have said 2015, oh, by 2021, there'll be gigawatts of buyers who want to do this and not just the amount but the variety of types of buyers. It's not just big tech or really large name brands, it's a whole gamut of people down to very small almost mom and pop style stores who are making a commitment and saying it's important for us to be sustainable and for us to to purchase renewable energy also.
2: Well, having had a leadership position in the industry when the industry was trying to figure out those innovative business models that could help fuel adoption was really a, a perfect thing to identify as a challenge that was important to overcome. On a personal level, who's had the greatest impact on your career and who do you admire most, you know, professionally or or personally? Tell us a little bit about kind of who's had an impact on you and and who you admire.
0: Yeah, when I look back at my career so far, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate. I've had a lot of interesting people that have championed me. I've been very lucky that they've sort of seen something in me that maybe at that time I didn't even see myself and said, Let's bet a little bit on her. You know, one person that comes to mind, his name is David Kirkpatrick. He used to be at EDF, he's at Marathon Capital now. Early in my career at EDF, he really suggested I participate in their rotational training program, which is a a leadership program where you rotate through the company into different roles to really get a better handle on kind of all the operations and to help employees not be so siloed. So I was one of the, I was in the first class of that program. And he really championed my growth and and really kind of put my name in front of senior leadership there. That was very instrumental, I think, in kicking off the career that I ended up having. My boss that I had previous to Orsted at at Apex Clean Energy, his name was Steve Vavrick, also very much championed me within the organization and allowed me to work on things that may have been just a bit of a stretch task for me at the time but believed that I could, could do them and figure them out and trusted that if I came across problems or had questions that I would figure out the right people to talk to and the right solutions. And so I've been very blessed to have a lot of people that have helped support me in this career. And to the second part of your question, I guess, who, who do I admire most, both professionally or personally? You know, There's a lot of people from a professional standpoint that I admire. I see people every day, I think, that are doing really creative, innovative stuff. I mean, you can go all the way up to very famous people like Elon Musk, to people that I just see in my day-to-day work, analysts that are doing creative stuff. So I think this industry is just generally filled with lots of really smart people. I kind of grew up in the space around a small cadre of other women, um, and I've seen them develop their careers. And so when I look at kind of when I need a little bit of mentorship or a little bit of support. I have some kind of core group of of people that I've seen develop alongside me that we can kind of go to one another and help support one another. So I really admire kind of all these different paths people have taken in the space.
2: Yeah. I love asking people these questions because it really provides insight into it's either kind of what makes them tick or what's contributed to their success. And it's interesting to see how often There have been people in our paths, and I certainly had them also, where someone sees in you what you may not even see in yourself, and they express faith, and they give you an opportunity to show what you have, and then you rise to the occasion. And it's interesting to see how that has, in fact, happened to you. And it seems that Orsted, right, is (laughs) someone at Orsted sees that in you because they've really put in your hands, a tremendous amount of responsibility. Here's this company entering what's arguably one of the largest, if not the largest, potential markets for renewables around the the world. And they put you in charge of making sure that things happen. So I think that that continues for you. And it leads me to ask the kind of the last question I want to ask you here during our conversation. and, And that is, what impact do you want to leave on Orsted and the industry when you hang up the cleats. You've had a good career. You've got a lot of game left. You're obviously going to continue to have an impact. You have a, an incredible opportunity in front of you to leverage the resources of the world's largest wind provider in North America. What what do you want to appreciate when you look back on what you're about to accomplish at uh, Orsted?
0: Yeah. Well, first, I I'm hopeful I won't be leaving for a long time. I very much enjoy Orsted, <laughs> and, and to your point, they they definitely have given me an opportunity, and I am beyond thankful. And I, I smile every day when I get to come to work. And I don't think a lot of people get to say that. So, at some day, maybe when I'm older and have grayer hair, I will leave Orsted. But when I look back, kind of what impact do I want to to leave on the company or on the industry? I mean, that's a tough question to answer. I I think I, I want to leave. An impression on other people that they can do it too. That you know, th- this is—I'm a real believer in this industry, and, and not just this industry. In what we're doing makes a real difference, and so it's important to me that that message is conveyed across the organization, and that you can do this while being profitable and and still achieve both of these things at the same time. You know, clean energy. Reducing climate change, leaving the world better for our children and for our children's children. As a mom with two young girls, I look at them and I think the times that I'm not there with them because I'm working. I hope they realize it's because, you know, I'm trying to do something that makes their life better in the long run and and leaves the world a better place for them and allows them to go out and go camping and hiking and all the places that I love to go and that they're still there and they're not gone and polluted and everything's changed because we as people of this planet have not have decided to not make it a priority. And so it's really an honor to work in this industry for me and and really an honor to work for Orsted which is a company that completely believes in the same ethos I do and the fact that they've been not just voted the most sustainable company but they did that because of the work that they've done and it's a testimony to the hard work and and the truth and and them Believing in something and achieving it, and it's just really a a, a wonderful position to be in, day in and day out.
2: Yeah, well, I can't think of a better way to wrap things up here. Those comments are so genuine and 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 heartfelt. They were very well stated, and I won't take the chance at diminishing them by adding adding anything else other than saying thank you so much. And uh, I know your kids are going to be really proud of you. And I'm I look forward with great anticipation to see what impact you're going to have with Orsted in North America. Thanks very much, Melissa, for joining me on this conversation. Your insights have been really valuable to our listeners. I really do look forward to watching what both you and the company are going to accomplish going forward here in the U.S. Thanks, John. To our listeners, thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next edition of our Virtual Innovation Summit, taking place March 22nd and 25th, visit our website, smartenergydecisions.com. We're excited about sharing conversations with leaders like Melissa of the energy transition in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks, and have a great day.
1: Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.